0: Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter. This week, I'm joined by Alita Bird, Spectrum's longtime interviews editor. We'll be talking with Trudy Morgan Cole, a legend of Adventist Lettra and the author of over two dozen books, including Esther, A Story of Courage, James, the Brother of Jesus, and Lydia, A Story of Philippi. In addition to that, By the Rivers of Brooklyn, A Sudden Sun, That Forgetful Shore, Most Anything You Please, and more recently, she's in the middle of a trilogy focused on the first English colonists in Newfoundland, her home. The first volume, A Roll of the Bones, came out in 2019 And the next book in that trilogy was just published by Breakwater Books, and it's called Such Miracles and Mischiefs. In addition to that, we'll be talking with her about her recent play that was performed by Persistence Theater, focused on Newfoundland's feminist history. The name of the play is The Mirror. Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast, I'm Alexander Carpenter and I'm honoured to be joined by two wonderful people today. Alita Bird, who everyone knows as our interviews editor, thank you for joining me for this conversation.
2: Thank you so much Alex for inviting me.
0: And then our honoured guest is um, very familiar to Adventist readers for over two decades, Trudy Morgan Cole. Thank you for talking with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, we're here to celebrate your work on the stage, The Mirror. Uh, in addition to that, I'd love to hear about um, your thoughts on the writing life, uh, and we can talk about some of your uh, works as well. So, absolutely, that- sure. Great. So, um, I did some research on the uh, really interesting person that you put on stage there in Newfoundland. Would you mind telling <laughs> us um, about how about the story behind the mirror?
1: Sure. Um, basically, here in Saint John's, Newfoundland, where I live, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of women municipally getting the right to vote. They didn't actually get the right to vote in what was then the country of Newfoundland until 1925. Uh, but a theater company that uh, a friend of mine runs was uh, was doing an, uh, a number of events commemorating this. And she actually, after I had put her on to some research because I had written a book about the local suffrage movement a few years ago. And so I had kind of put her onto some sources and some interesting people. And she came into my house one day and said, You need to write a play about Armin Nothing Gosling and uh, my, my immediate response was, I'm not sure I know how to write a play because I'm a novelist. I hadn't written for the stage before. Uh, but the woman I, I was writing about, Armin Nutting-Gosling, was an amazing woman. Uh, she was a suffrage leader here in Newfoundland. She was involved in all sorts of areas of civic life and charitable life. She was the wife of the mayor of the city of St. John's. Uh, just, just a real whirlwind and powerhouse, but also a woman who I think even for a modern reader or viewer is very relatable. She struggled with depression. Uh, She was constantly, you know, wrestling with self-doubt over whether her work was significant or meaningful or making a real difference. Uh, And uh, yeah, so it was really interesting to take a historical character and put her on stage in this way and just kind of play with some of the ways in which uh, a story that's 100 years old has uh, has a lot of relevance, you know, for, for contemporary viewers, particularly contemporary women. And it is a very local story to the place where I live. But I think uh, a lot of the stories of, of the women pioneers and suffragists were probably very similar in a lot of places because their, their struggles were, you know, were common.
0: You've written um, about a lot of um, heroic characters, Esther, Lydia, uh, in what ways was this similar to that sort of work that you've done? And in what ways was it uh, different for you?
1: What's really been interesting to me in both the writing I did with church publishers, which, you know, delved a lot into women's stories from the Bible, and then the historical fiction I've done more recently that's set here in Newfoundland where I live, and as obviously for a more secular audience, um, the common thread to me is I'm always interested in the stories that don't get told, and particularly the women's stories that don't get told. Um, Certainly with the women of the Bible, you know, you get often a woman's story hinted at in, you know, a few verses or even a few lines, and you know there's a whole backstory there that never got recorded. Uh, And when you turn to uh, history, it's the same thing. Often women's stories are in the margins, they're around the edges. This particular woman, Armin Gosling, that I wrote the play about um, until one particular scholar who I was fortunate to to know and talk to a little bit until she began researching uh, the women's suffrage movement She didn't even, Armin Gosling's name wasn't even known. Uh, Her husband was known because he was the mayor of the city. And in some of the histories of the time, there was sort of like a little throwaway line that, you know, Mrs. Gosling was active in the movement for women's votes. But, you know, not even her name uh, was recorded in a lot of these official histories. So that's what always interests me is, is the stories that get left out, the things that are in the gaps and the margins. And quite often those are women's stories.
0: Yeah. Where did you, you know, where did you find those um, little anecdotes to share and how did you decide what to include into the, the kind of story arc that you constructed for the stage?
1: Um, a lot of it, I always say that as a writer of historical fiction, I'm, you know, uh, kind of uh pawing through the work that real historians do and picking what's interesting to use. Uh, you know, so other other people had already done the serious scholarship and historical research. And what I got to go through was was look through and try to find out the personal moments. And that was what I was really interested in. The reason the play is called The Mirror uh, is because darmine Nutting Gosling had a sister, Adelaide Nutting, uh, who is arguably much more famous. She's uh, she was a pioneer of nursing education in the United States. And uh was a, a professor at Johns Hopkins at a time when that was almost unheard of for a woman, uh, and so I was interested in these two women, these two sisters—one um, who was married and had a family, the other was unmarried and was able to, you know, commit herself totally to her career—kind um, of m- seeing each other as as mirror images and measuring their accomplishments against each other. So it's those personal relationships and and those intimate moments that you know, which are preserved in letters. Also, I mean, Gosling's relationship with her husband is fascinating. She wrote a biography of him after he died. It was by all accounts, particularly for the early 20th century, uh, an incredibly supportive relationship and, and a very enlightened one where he was actually uh, extremely supportive of her suffrage work and, and her other uh, her goals and aims. So. Yeah, I was reading the, the little bits of personal uh, information that eventually people had managed to dig up about her once they discovered that she did have a name and identity of her own. Uh, that's what that's what, I, you know, brought the story to life. And that's, again, what always interests me are these personal details that uh, don't get mentioned in the kind of official historical records. This is the first
2: play that you wrote. Did you also have input into the casting and direction and staging of the play?
1: Uh, not really. Um, I worked the, the, The person who ended up directing it was also my dramaturge who worked with me to kind of help me kind of shape my first draft script into the script that we eventually used for staging. She's a very experienced theater person. I'm not, like I said, I'm I'm a novelist. So it was was a learning experience for me. Uh, But then I wanted to be as hands-off as possible um, on the actual, you know, the the production of the play. Uh, I wanted to be able to step back and say, this is, you know, the written words, the written script is something I've created. Now I want to see what you guys uh, do with it. And it was, it's very different for me because if you're a novelist, that is essentially a very solitary profession. Uh, and you're, you know, you work with an editor, but still you're essentially creating a world, handing your book over to other people. They read it. And while they probably have pictures in their head when they're reading uh, As the writer, you never get to see what those are. So it was a different and much more collaborative experience to say, "Okay, here's my work. Now I'm handing it over to this other team of professionals to do what they do with it. And uh, the director told me, you know, she said, if you want to come and sit in on rehearsals, you can. uh, But you don't have to. And I said, no, I just I just want to show up opening night and see what, you know, see what's what's become of it. Surprise. And how
0: did it feel to see it on stage?
1: It was amazing. Uh, it was an incredible cast of really stellar local actors and uh, a beautiful set designer, costume designer. They really, really brought it to life. And it was, it was an amazing experience to see something that I'd written come to life in that way. I That's noticed great. that you also had listed um, an intimacy and,
2: and movement director as part of the, um, as <laughs> in, yeah. in the credits. Well, it- did you yeah, movement skating?
1: largely because yeah, there, there is a lot of movement in the play, but the intimacy was, was director was because of uh, the you know not the, it's certainly not graphic by any means. There's just a lot of touch and, and kissing and embracing on stage between the the couple uh, who played the um, the married couple, Armin and Gilbert Gosling. Although interestingly, the actors are in fact married in real life. So, they were a real life husband and wife who were playing a husband and wife on stage. Uh, But even so, apparently, you need an intimacy director to make sure that that comes off in in appropriate and non exploitive ways on stage. I don't know a whole lot about that piece of it, but I thought it was interesting that they hired her for that. And, uh, you know, again, the director's a professional. She knows what what the show needs.
0: You know, um, they say, write what you know. And I (laughs) feel like uh, from roommates to. biblical, historical fiction to your focus on Newfoundland. Uh, You do that well. Um, Why?
1: I mean, on the one hand, you know, a lot of what I write is historical fiction. So in that sense, I don't write what I know because I'm writing about the past, which I didn't live through. I think like a lot of writers, um, I started off writing things that were much more close to me in experience and uh, you know, I mean, I had my first novel published when I was twenty. Uh, God bless Review and Herald; uh, they had a, a willingness then to take both to publish things that were kind of fiction and also to take a chance on young writers that I don't know uh, that this you know they don't at all exist today. Review and Herald, but I don't know if church publishers have that same willingness today. Um, but, you know, they did. They, they published my first book when I was 20, and I largely wrote about characters who were very much like me and my friends. Uh, and then as I got further along in writing, I, you know, my, my first degree is in history. Um, I've always been intrigued by the past and stories from the past. And so, yeah, I've spent a lot of my writing career digging, digging into the past. So I guess I do write what I know, and, but, but, but I do have to get to know it first off and through, uh, through doing a lot of research.
2: You haven't um, you haven't written a book for an administ publisher in a while I think have you have you had any books published by an Adventist publisher since the review closed
1: uh, one uh, just at about the time the review was... In its, I guess, death throes, um, my the last of my biblical novels with them, which I always say that I wrote not a series of novels about women of the Bible. The last one I wrote was actually about a man of the Bible, James, the brother of Jesus, which is probably my favorite of them in a lot of ways. Uh, and I had a sort of verbal go ahead from review on that. And then they were kind of pulling back. No, we're not sure we want to do this. When I actually had the manuscript done, I had no idea of all the things that were going on behind the scenes at Review and Herald at the time. You know, I live in Newfoundland. I was teaching school. I was writing books in my spare time. It was totally unrelated to the, to the Adventist publishing world, except as they published my books. Uh, So it was picked up by Pacific press instead. So that book actually came out with Pacific press. Um, And when that one was done, there wasn't a strong sense from Pacific Press that they wanted more like that. And I also didn't feel I had a whole lot more like that to give. I think there was a period, particularly at Review and Herald, where I felt like ch- church publishers were really comfortable exploring stories that were not strictly factual, you know, even though they wouldn't call them fiction. Um, and my, a lot of my work fell into that category. And then there seemed to be a real pulling back from that at around the time that Review and Herald closed and the book publishing moved to Pacific Press. So I just felt like, you know, what they're doing and what I'm doing are kind of going in different directions. And I, I was, you know, kind of doing both things parallel uh, for a while there, but I was really interested in this local history and particularly local women's history piece. So I had published now six books with a local press here in Newfoundland, Uh, breakwater books, which are all kind of delving into local history and largely women's stories. And now I've written this play and I wrote a couple of self-published books, Uh, but I haven't really felt a strong pull to go back to Adventist publishing because I don't think that there's really a space there for the kind of stories that I want to tell. And that's okay. Sometimes things are you know, good for a a part of your career and then you move on and do other things.
2: How about going into... um looking at maybe unsung Adventist women? Are there some people there you could write about?
1: You know, I haven't felt a huge, I don't think at this point in my career, the stories that I would want to tell about Adventist women would fit well with an Adventist publisher and I don't think, I don't know if the interest is broad enough anywhere else. I mean, the one Adventist woman who's always fascinated me, not Ellen White, surprisingly. Um, I once, years ago, back when I thought I still couldn't write a play and had no experience with it when I was very young, uh, I tried to write a one-woman play about Annie Smith because she really fascinated me. That's a really interesting story. And that's something I've come back to and kind of toyed with in my head over the years. But um, this is the And if I probably if I lived in a large Adventist center where there was a, you know, if I lived at, you know, someplace like Loma Linda or back at Andrews where I went to, to undergrad and there was a large enough Adventist population to be an audience for it, I might play around with trying to do a play about that, about her. But it's, you know, uh, it a lot of things have to come together before I decide that a project is compelling enough to make a book or I guess now a play because apparently that's the thing I do now. Um, it takes a lot of time to research and write a piece. And I, you know, I don't think it always in terms of marketability, because I think that's a real way to to um, curse your writing to worry too much about what's marketable. But you do have to think, is anybody going to be interested in reading this? And, and that's, I guess, kind of where I'm at now that I don't think there are a lot of Adventist stories that I want to write that anybody would also want to read, but you never know what the future might hold.
0: Well, of course I'd love to uh, read that story. So keep keep us posted here at Spectrum. It may,
1: it may happen sometime, you never know.
0: Um. So, you know, it, obviously you're not thinking about marketability, but it seems to me that you do think about the community that I at mean. least the story would resonate with, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about your local community there or the Adventist community how do you, what's your relationship with that? You're focused on a person, you're looking at their history. Uh, how do you think about what your kind of reader response is going to be as you're working? Are you, is it, are you just kind of writing for yourself or or what way does that play into? Is it like a conversation between author and, you know, future community of readers?
1: I think, um, I think it's a bit of both. You have to write, I always write the stories that I want to read. You know, when I dig into a story, I'm like, why has nobody ever written about this? That's usually a good indication to me. That's something I want to write about. Uh, But obviously I do think about, you know, what kind of readers are going to like it, be interested in it. One thing that has been a real blessing to me in writing here in the local community, which I did not have when I was writing uh, for the Adventist uh, publisher for a lot of reasons, partly because it's such a diverse community and, and widely spaced and we didn't really have a lot of the internet tools back then that we have now. Um, I get to visit a lot of local book clubs with the books that I publish here. Uh, Probably for every novel I've done, I've done 10 or 12 book club visits. And it's an amazing experience to just sit down and have a conversation with a group of almost always women. Some men go to book clubs, but in my experience, overwhelmingly women um, who have read your book and have opinions about it and chat to them about it. So that's Always really interesting, and I guess that does inform my future writing in some ways. Not that I sit down and think, "What is a book club going to say about this?" But just that I imagine those conversations, and it gives me a sense of what are the things that readers connect with. Um, since I, uh, I guess in recent times, probably just pre-pandemic times, maybe, uh, and. Adventist book club uh, that was meeting by Zoom, actually read my 2003 novel, Esther, uh, and and invited me to visit them by Zoom. So that was kind of a neat experience. But you know, it wasn't a thing that was happening back when I was writing books regularly for for Review and Herald. So I didn't have that sense of feedback and being part of a a community where I could get people's responses to my books. I do have that now. And it's something I really, really cherish and value. Hmm.
0: I guess I've got two more questions, and and you know, Alita, jump in with any that you have here. One is kind of in the larger world of kind of arts. Um, obviously, you're thinking it, of audiences beyond Adventism, but one of the things, you know, if I'm being honest, for the last decade or so, with the sort of increasing conservative kind of fundamentalist tenor that we hear from top leadership, of course, not everywhere. Um, I think a lot of uh, creative individuals have just felt like the kind of um, language that's being used about the people that we care about is so off-putting that folks just kind of tune out and and kind of look for other ways to to get what they need in community. And I'm I'm just curious. You've invested so much in telling stories from the Bible, helping. Um, Uh, you know, young folks feel like they could read something on a Sabbath afternoon that would not be mind numbing, but their parents would approve of and might inspire them in some way to go on to some sort of creative endeavor. You know, how do you, how, how have you been through this process and and what sort of thoughts have you had about the creative community?
1: I think it's been really discouraging for me as a writer, uh. Like I said, there was a time when I felt, uh, and this was early 2000s, when I was doing my biblical novels, doing a lot of work with Review and Herald, uh, when I felt really optimistic about the direction of the church, particularly as regards, you know, creative endeavors and creative arts. And I feel like that has definitely gone in another direction. And it's not a direction that I'm interested in. I mean, uh, there was always a strain of people in the church who were horrified by, Uh, The word fiction or novel or the idea of of any writing or any art that was purely imaginative. But I never felt, you know, when I was uh, a student at Andrews and in the years after, I never felt like that was the dominant strain in the church that I was encountering. I always found and encountered and was mentored by people like Penny and Gerald Wheeler at View and Herald, for example, um, who were really nurturing of the kind of work that I was interested in doing. And so it was, I mean, a lot of things in my personal life kind of happened around the same time. Like uh, I stopped working for the church as a teacher, stopped teaching in church schools because the church school where I live closed down and I was teaching in the public system. And now for many years for a charitable organization that had no connection to the Adventist church. Um, And then as a writer, I, kind of you know made that move away from writing for for Adventist publishers for a lot of reasons um so yeah I have I have come to feel like the institutional church even though I'm still very active and involved in my local church my local congregation I've come to feel like the institutional church is has less and less to do with the kind of creative work that that I'm interested in doing and I don't know like I'm I'm still interested in writing about faith, and that's often a theme in in a lot of things I write. I'm even interested in writing about Adventism. One of my Newfoundland historical novels, That Forgetful Shore, uh, has a character who's converted by Adventist evangelists when they come to town, really dove into the history of of the early Adventist movement in that particular place. Um, And then I wrote a self-published novel, Prone to Wander, which is all about growing up Adventist, but I don't feel like there's a place for the kind of work I want to do in the institutional Adventist church anymore, including Adventist publishing houses. And I'm not, you know, so self-centered as to say, oh, that's a huge loss to the church if they don't have a place for my books. But I think if they don't have a place for people who are doing any of that type of creative work that's maybe a little less safe and less easily packaged on the shelves of an ABC, uh, then I do think that is, that is a a tremendous loss, you know, not just to people of my generation who are now, you know, officially middle-aged and beyond, but, but to younger folks coming up as well.
0: Yes, it definitely is a loss. Um, I I guess my last question, but it doesn't need to be the last (laughs) Alita, um, is about, you know, as we kind of go through life, I too am, you know, middle-aged now and and starting to reflect back on the, the sins of my youth and also the <laughs> joys that are long past. Um, I have thought about the way that moving into a new community kind of has changed my relationship with the Adventist community, just because I have friends who aren't Adventist and I enjoy hanging out with them in ways that you don't have when you're on a college campus Uh um, and and sometimes shortly thereafter. So I'm just curious because I, f- I, I, I find different parts of the world really interesting, especially uh, I remember my, I, I, don't, I hope it's okay to call someone a new That's what he liked being called. No? Okay. Some,
1: some, pe- some people do like being called newfies and, okay. and like a lot of other terms for regional if people like using the term about themselves that's great not everybody loves it okay well I won't
0: (laughs) use it then he this was a long time ago but he um you know he was very proud of where he was from Uh, Mm -hmm. this was in another part of Canada and I'm just curious about what um you know what it's been like uh, you know maybe kind of focusing on, on your community now and focusing your creative efforts on, on that community. You mentioned, obviously, the, the fun of going to book clubs where people are really engaging your work. And I'm, I'm just sort of wondering what have you found as sort of hope or joy in you know, creating works that are centered on a specific place and a community and, and, and what you're getting out of it as a, as a creative person?
1: I guess it's a really good question. Um, I, I, you know, your, your, your friend who was a Newfoundlander was not unique in any way. We are all, in, almost all incredibly proud of where we come from. And we'll talk about it nonstop. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm no exception. I've lived almost all of my life here except for, three years I was at Andrews and then a few years I I taught in Adventist schools in other parts of Canada and then came back home. Um, So this is, this has always been my place, the place I'm from, and I'm really pleased that the writing I'm doing now is rooted here because I have a strong sense sense of connection and community. And also there is a fabulously supportive Artistic, generally and specifically, literary community here in Newfoundland. There's tremendous support for the arts, for theater, for music, for for writing. Uh, it's it's a very vibrant place for uh, all kinds of creativity. So that's great. It's wonderful to live in a place where that kind of thing is supportive. And you know, I've heard people in other places say, "Oh, I don't know how to find you know a community of writers," or "I don't know how to." uh, you know, find anyone who's going to support my, my creativity. And I, you know, I'm just lucky to live in a place where it's hard to walk down the street without tripping over other local writers. Like we're, we're everywhere. And it's a very, uh, a very vibrant and a very supportive artistic community. And it is really great to be a part of that. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, thanks. Any other questions? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, well, you're a you're a prolific writer, as we know. I don't know if we've listed your number of books in this interview. I think when I talked to you last, you were at 24, and that was about two years ago, so you must be at least 26
1: now, maybe? Probably, yeah. <laughs> 20-something is what I usually say, but then that's probably because I did get started so young, so... <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, but in addition to your to your writing, you're an avid reader and I think avid actually I think there needs to be a new word maybe for you. I was just I, I don't think that word really does it justice. I was looking earlier at your um you you kind of keep track of your books on a website yeah. and so we can all <laughs> see what you've been reading and I mean, I consider myself fairly well read, but um the list of books that you've read in the last year or two um I <laughs> I read almost none of them. Uh, only a very very few of them have I read or many of them I don't are not even on my radar. I think it's amazing. You've you've also written a number of book reviews for us at Spectrum, which we're grateful for. Um but I think that you're especially interested in in books about spiritual journeys and you you've said you you said to me before when when I talked to you that you're less interested in the, in the two extremes of, of that story, the, the rah, rah, I got saved story or the, um, thank God I escaped this cult story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, and your, your book prone to wander is a nice kind of real story that uh, not all bad and isn't all good. Um, as maybe most of us experience. So I just wonder if you can tell us some recommendations of books that are more on that genre that you've read um, recently or even not so recently that you really enjoy, maybe some recommendations.
1: Okay. I have a lot of trouble pulling book titles when people ask me on the spot. Uh, so I know I've read at least one recently that I said this in the review of that it hit that sweet spot for me. And I can't remember what it was, but I might I might look at look it up. Maybe you can go back and uh, and, and edit this. Um, put yeah, put it in. Uh, I mean, to me, the classic of that. Was always, and I've written, I've written a couple of times about this book and how influential it was for me. And I read it while I was a student at Andrews and everyone I knew was reading it and passing it around was My Name is Asher Lev by Han Potak. Uh, hugely influential book on me and all my college friends, many of whom were art majors or, or something related to the arts. Uh, and I think that was the first book I read that dealt with faith in that way that was neither like our Adventist book center books where you find God and it solves everything or, you know, writing that I was more familiar with from the secular world where, you know, religion is terrible and you're, you know, you're lucky you escaped it. Uh, Which to be fair, there was a certain genre of Newfoundland writing, uh, not so much now as earlier that, you know, everybody who had lived through Catholic school with Irish Catholic nuns or Christian brothers was writing about how happy they were to have escaped that. Uh, And so, the reason I love My Name is Asher Love so much was even the, the Hasidic Jewish community that he was writing about was so different from my own experience. I recognized that pull in both directions of that feeling that um, it was both stifling at times and yet nourishing at times too, that there was something drawing people into that community while at the same time you might be struggling to break free of it. So that is definitely um, a book that I read uh, years ago, not a recent one, but one that I read several years ago that that hit that, I guess, that spot for me and kind of, yeah, kind of touched on both sides of that dualism. Uh, there've been a number of others in recent years. And like I said, I'm going to blank out here on remembering titles. Uh, sometimes I, I, I know, It's, go it's ahead. true though, we need a, we need a, um,
2: those are wonderful books for readers, but you know, you, you self-published prone to wander. We, I did. Yeah. You know, we need a a place maybe that is, that is going to, um, support those kinds of stories. Um, maybe you need to start an imprint now yourself.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, maybe, I mean, there are, you know, there definitely are books that I've read and some that are quite mainstream and, and high profile. Um, the one that I'm thinking of uh, relatively recently that was a big um, award winner here in Canada was uh, Five Wives by Joan Thomas, which is about the real story of uh, these evangelical missionaries who were uh, murdered in Central America. But she's taken that real story and created a fictional um a fictional narrative around it, which again, I think really strikes that, that uh, nice medium ground, middle ground of both recognizing why their faith is real and meaningful to them, but at the same time, recognizing its flaws and its limitations. And I'm glad I remembered what the other recent book I'm thinking of was because it is by an Adventist author. It's uh, Sari Fordham's Wait for God to Notice, uh, which is memoir, not fiction. But again, I, I read it and I was like, yes, this is somebody who is treating faith, and in this case, specifically the Adventist faith, with the kind of complexity that it deserves. And that's what I love when I find that in a novel or a memoir. It's what I was trying to do in writing Prone to Wander, you know, and and to some extent with my historical one, um, uh, That Forgetful Shore too, which included, among other things, uh, the roots of the Adventist movement in Newfoundland, uh, to write about why faith is important to people in a way that doesn't diminish or belittle it, but also doesn't sweep under the rug, the problems with it.
2: Yeah, those, those, those stories, I think those really do strike a chord. And I think, I think that's um, a balance that, that we try to find at Spectrum, wouldn't you say, Alex?
0: We, we aim for that somewhere in that tension is where yeah. we, we try to we try to find yeah. our space
1: and tension is the perfect word for it too you know there's there's uh, not a lot of there, there's some writing about faith but there should be more that that explores and is comfortable living in that place of tension
0: yeah well uh thank you so much for your time and thanks thank for you. For being uh, so open to talk about what you're doing. Thank
1: you. Thank both of you. It was a great interview. I love. I love good questions. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Pleasure to see you. Bye. Bye. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom
0: is alive. The kingdom's on the move.
1: with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely.
0: I'll never forget it.